We are downtown. We are historic. We are family. We are scriptural. We are First Baptist Church. Glory to God in the highest. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to worship on this, the third Sunday in Advent. Are you happy to be in worship today? What a joy, what a privilege. So we begin this, would you look at Luke chapter 1 with me, verse 68 and 69. You follow along as I read. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. God fulfills his promises, amen? What he sets out to do, he will accomplish. We come and worship and praise of him today for that very reason. Let's add our own glory to God in the highest. Hymn 100, angels we have heard on high. Stand together, let's sing.
Amen. Take a moment to welcome those around you to worship today. Good morning, church family. My name is Scott Lane. It's a privilege for me to welcome you to worship. We've prayed for each person here today. We've prayed that you would feel the presence of God, that he would be near, that he would be dear. We've prayed that you would feel at home, and that this would be a place where God would be free and able to work in your life and in your heart. If you're visiting or you're a guest with us today, I want to say a special word of welcome to you. In the pew back in front of you, you'll find a card that says connect here. And we would ask that you fill that out. And if you came with family or friends, that you share information about them as well. We would just count it a privilege to start a friendship with you today. We've prayed for you as well. We've prayed that you would feel welcome here and that you would feel at home as well. And so thank you for being here. Later on in uh, the service, an offering plate will come by. You can drop that in the plate. That would be your gift to us, and we would just count it a blessing to start a friendship and connect with you that way. This season, we celebrate the loving generosity of God. Listen to Galatians chapter 4. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son. Jesus came into this world. From there, it gets more and more personal. He comes into a home, our spaces. He engages human hearts and human lives, physically, emotionally, spiritually. He heals, he teaches, he forgives, he loves, he encourages. So what's the response to this activity of God? To serve him and serve others, to trust him in his power and promises, to praise him in gathered worship and with our very lives, to pray, asking him to work in power and grace, to look up and rejoice that God is generous, kind, and he is faithful. Are you ready to respond in those ways this morning? Is this mic on? Are you ready to respond in those ways this morning? Then let's worship together. Welcome to worship. Let's pray. So, Father, we look up to you seated on your throne in majesty and glory, and we praise you for your kindness, your generosity to send a Savior for a broken world and sin-filled hearts. So bring forgiveness today. Bring encouragement. Bring healing. Father, help us sense and see you and hear you today clearly through your Holy Spirit. Flood this space, flood our hearts with your presence, that we would glorify you, that we would be more like Jesus, the one you've sent. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Our second scripture today comes from Luke. It's our Advent scripture today. Each week we've been looking at different ways that, that we can celebrate this Jesus so that our lives may magnify him better. The first week we looked at the fact that God left his throne in glory to come and walk among us through the incarnation of his son, that Jesus came to be among us. What an amazing story that is. We, we magnify his life. Last week we looked at the fact that, that he loved us while we were still sinners. Isn't that an amazing thing? Knowing our hearts, he loved us anyway, all the way to the cross. We magnify his love for us. Today, we magnify his mission. What did he come to do and what has he called us to do? Look with me, Luke 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. 
And that's the mission to which we've been called and the, the ministry we are, we are partners with. Let's continue to worship with your hymnals. O come, little children, hymn 107. Stand together as we sing. You may be seated. Continue to worship. All right, kids, you're welcome to come down for kids' time. Come on down. Wow, look at those poinsettias. Those are awesome. Y'all look so great. Y'all look so great. I tell you what, it always gives me such joy, whether I'm in this room or the room across the way, to see kids come get to sit next to me. It's a privilege for me to talk with you about Jesus, right? I hope you feel the same way. So, Pastor Aaron has been using the word magnify a lot. Magnify Jesus' life, uh, the light. Um, and so I just want to talk about that word just for a moment, you know there are two ways we can magnify things, right? If you had a magnifying glass, how would you use that? That's right, you want to look at something that's small, like an ant, and you want to see it bigger, right? Well, what if you were to use a telescope? The telescope helps you see things That's right, it helps us, a telescope helps us see things that are far away. Now let me ask you. When you look in the sky and you look at a star, does it look small? Yeah. It looks small, but is it really big? Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. And so, a ma yes, and a moon is bigger, right? It, we look in the sky, we're like, oh, it's about that big. But if it were to come real close, that he just said that? He said that. He says a lot of wonderful things. Yes, it is. So listen, so there's another way we magnify things. We use a telescope, and we take things that are far away but are actually really, really big, and we try to bring them close so that we can see what they're like. So when we magnify Jesus, we're magnifying the second way, not the first way. Jesus is not small, right? Yes. Telescopes are pretty cool. Telescopes are pretty cool. So, but we're magnifying Jesus, this, not the first way, this, but the second way. Is Jesus small or big? big? He's big. He knows everything. He knows all of your names. He created you. And so when we magnify Jesus, we want to see him in all of his bigness as much as we can. That's why we have the word of God. It lets us see the bigness of Jesus. And that's why we say, let's magnify him. And today we're magnifying 
his mission. Would you be able to help me light the Advent candle today? You want to come with me? All right, come on with me. All right. Okay, so what we're going to do. All right, let's, let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that you are not small at all, but you are big. And Lord, help us to magnify you so that we can worship you and let the world know of your goodness, grace, and mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's kids said, amen. Thank you guys so much. According to Jessica Hufty, I am an authority on the moon. So be happy to help you out after church if you have any questions. They have to be at a four-year-old level, however. So hey, let's continue to worship. It came upon the midnight clear, that glorious song of old. Hymn 93, standing together as we sing. be seated.
Um, there was a moment that I thought I was going to jump up there and sing that song with you. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> it's like, come on, I love you. And I want you to know that I love you too. And you can tell because I put a suit on for you today. <laughs> put a suit on for you today. Let me tell you, it is a treat to be with you, have an opportunity to talk about Jesus together and to listen to Jesus together. I don't take it for granted. What a privilege. And it's a treat that Pastor Chris can be in Lagos today as well. Both of us, what a joy it is to be a part of this church family and to speak into this church family and love Jesus together in this church family. With that said, sorry, I'm going to make you stand. Let's stand and read the Word of God together. This is Matthew 8, 14 through 17. When Jesus came into Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and waited on him. When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, he himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. Thank you for reading God's word with me. You may be seated. Father, help us to take a breath, to slow down in the midst of a very hectic season when we're all pu pulled here and there. Help us to sit still and to be still and to know that you are indeed God and to know that your son Jesus is indeed Savior. Help us to love and embrace and know his kingdom that has come and is coming. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. We know that God is up to something different and new. That's the message of the Gospels. It's not only biographical information. It's to let us in on what God is doing, that it's significant, that it's huge, and perhaps that's the understatement of the past two millennia. But that's the central message of the gospel, that God is at work to usher in something new and different. Through this man, Jesus, born long ago, the incarnate Son of God as a little baby, but this man, Jesus, is up to something significant. His miraculous birth was clue number one, born of a virgin, much Less the declarations of John the Baptist. Who am I to baptize you? We know God is up to something. But we also know God is up to something when in Matthew we're told that Jesus ventures into the desert fasting for 40 days and nights, experiencing nurturing communion with his Father, both beautiful and sweet and true. And at his weakest point, the devil, the king demon, resisted him or tempted him, and Jesus resisted him at every turn as a man, as a man, with his full divinity at his disposal, and yet he resists, not by leaning on his divine power, but by leaning on the very word from his father. He doesn't cut corners or take shortcuts. He doesn't turn the stones into bread or test the Lord in some sense of pride or turn to idolatry so he could gain power quicker than later. No, he resisted the devil's whims at every turn as a man. In those moments, Jesus, in fact, took us back to the garden, didn't he? Where Adam and Eve had caved, the Son of Man resisted, remaining righteous. Jesus, in those moments, at the end of his time in the desert, became the new Adam. Why? So that his righteousness, his resistance of temptation would become our own. And then in the desert, Jesus took us back to Israel when they were in the desert for 40 years. And Jesus, in those 40 intense days under the temptation of the enemy at the closure of that time, faithfully trusted in the provision and leadership of God where Israel had failed to be faithful for 40 years, he had cleaved to his father, not turning to the right or to the left, 
for those intense days. He became the new Israel so that his faithfulness could become our own. When John the Baptist told him, don't, don't, I don't need to baptize you. You need to be baptizing me. Jesus said, no, you need to do this in order to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus went into the desert, resisted the devil in order to fulfill all righteousness, to fulfill all faithfulness, not just for himself, but for us, that we would have his righteousness as well. God is up to something. He's up to something. We know he's up to something when after teaching with authority at the Sermon on the Mount, reintroducing the kingdom of God to a people who are caught up in the burdensome religiosity of the day. A leper approaches him, remember? Unclean. He had been separated from family and friends and synagogue, cut off from his whole community because he was unclean. But he was made clean by the will of Jesus. And with an outstretched arm and a touch, the Son of God declares that my kingdom has come and is coming. And with my redemptive touch, I will restore which is broken, which is separate, primarily relationships with God and your fellow man. You have been separate. You have been far, uh, far off in your uncleanliness and in, un, in your sin. And he says, look, I will make you clean. That's the message of Matthew in every gospel, that God is up to something universe-shaking, up to something kingdom-crumbling through this mystery of a man, the incarnate Son of God and the Son of Man. Every miracle in the book of Matthew or any of the Gospels is a preview for us of what that kingdom is like, what that kingdom of God who he is ushering in with his son, that kingdom which is going to come in fulfillment when he returns. Every miracle is a preview for us. I want you to know what the kingdom of God is like, and we know God is up to something significant. Today's passage is no different in Matthew 8, 14 through 17. Again, Jesus says or shows us that my kingdom has come and is coming. Do you want to know what it looks like? And so Jesus enters Peter's house on a Sabbath day. His wife likely is there. His brother Andrew and mother-in-law live all together in that same home. Maybe they have kids. We don't know. But Jesus right away goes to Peter's mother-in-law. She is ill. She is feverish, has a high, high fever, an internal infection. And Jesus simply touches her hand and heals her. You know, he wasn't supposed to touch the leper, and it was likely very socially unacceptable for he as a man to touch this woman, much less on the Sabbath day. We know the Pharisees are going to get really bent out of shape when Jesus heals on the Sabbath. But we're reminded that Jesus has come to usher in the kingdom of God, not to pander to the man-centered religious burdens of the day. But this woman, this mother-in-law, she gets up and she begins to serve Jesus. And yes, we are called to serve Jesus as followers of Christ, those of us who believe and repent have been redeemed by him, but I'm not so sure that's the most explicit message here. What would you do if you had people in your home other than family? If you were able-bodied, you would get up and serve them. Now just imagine if Rabbi Jesus was in your home, if he was sitting on your couch, by all means, you would be up on your feet if you were able asking him for a drink. Do you have something to drink? Can I get you something else? Do you have a need? It makes perfect sense that she would want to get up after being healed to take care of the guests that in, are in her home. But what would we do if we were fully aware of the presence and of Christ that is in your home, in your workplace, at school? Would that make a difference in your life? Would you respond to the presence of Jesus knowing that he is there with you in spirit by the power of the Spirit of God? Would you respond in like kind as this mother-in-law who was healed? Would your behavior change? Would you begin to serve and obey Christ? 
I would imagine so. I would imagine so. The power of the presence of Jesus is transforming. But we also know then at the conclusion of the Sabbath, many others bring the demon-possessed and diseased. We're reminded in the scriptures time and time again when Jesus casts out demons that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Remember Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 6? But against rulers and authorities and cosmic powers of the spiritual realm. Sometimes we can move past these verses very quickly, quickly, but let's just settle in this in a moment. We live in a tremendously broken world where violence upon violence and poverty and every known brokenness is all over the world. And we know without a doubt because of the scriptures that we are overwhelmed and oppressed by the spiritual darkness of this world that are led uh, very much by demonic activity. And we see it in the work of Jesus. We see it in the testimony of Paul. And what we also know in these parallel passages in Luke chapter 5, that the demons know. The demons are at work, but they also know that God is up to something significant. In Luke chapter 5, the demons, as they're being cast out by a very word of Jesus, the demons say, you're the son of God. The demons know that God is up to something significant through the incarnate son of God. But we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but with a word, Jesus casts out the demons free from oppression and possession. It's as if Jesus is telling us and showing us in this miracle that demons have no place in the kingdom of God. And then also we have testimony in the word of God that he healed all the sick who came to that home. Likely fevers, disabilities, diabetes, cancer, blindness, kidney failure, anxiety, depression, all gone with a touch. And again, He shows us in this miracle that in the kingdom of God, these have no place. These have no place. That's what the kingdom of God is like through the Son. And as if we needed help, and we do, Matthew moves on and says, by the way, this fulfills Isaiah's prophecy. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Matthew is cluing us in that this man, Jesus, is indeed the suffering servant of Isaiah. He indeed is the Messiah. He indeed is the Prince of Peace, and he's the Lord of Lords. And in fact, this Messiah, this Jesus, is up to something far greater than you you could possibly imagine. Even if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. And so Jesus says, I will show you what it's like. Look and see what I'm doing. I am doing a new thing, ushering in a new kingdom. And in this new kingdom, darkness has no hold on you. All oppression shall cease. And the curse of sin, the curse of sin that has left us broken and sick and dying, says we'll be put to death. In my new kingdom, none of those have any place. You remember in Revelation chapter 21, when the Apostle John is watching the new heaven and new earth and that incredible vision that God gave him by the power of the Spirit, he's watching the new heaven and new earth descend. And then Jesus says to John, Behold, I am making all things new. That's the picture that Jesus is painting for us when he heals all the people in that house, when he heals the the mother-in-law that rises and serves him, he is painting for us a picture. Do you want to know what my kingdom is like? There will be no demonic oppression. There will be no spiritual forces because I have conquered and vanquished them all. When I return and usher in my kingdom for all time, spiritual darkness has no place. And on top of that, no sickness has place. Death and dying has no place. I will restore all. All of you, not just part of you. All of who you are, not just part of who you are. Listen, Jesus is not interested only in momentary political fixes. Yes, he has called people to serve him 
for his glory and excellence, excellence in all realms of our society, including politics, but he's not interested in momentary political fixes. Oddly enough, that's what most people in that day were interested in. When is our king going to come back? It's, it's why he told the leper, don't go around talking about this moment because he wanted to handle his own PR. He was a Messiah, not of their kind, but of the Father's kind. I didn't come to be an earthly king. Jesus isn't all that interested in filling bank, bank accounts, although he does uh, bless us at times and seasons of life. He's not even interested in momentary healing. He's interested in eternal healing. And yet we also experience and know those blessings, those moments. Some of us know those blessings and moments of momentary healing. He's not only interested in the forgiveness of sin, Jesus is interested in the undoing of the whole curse of sin. He's not interested in partial restoration. He's interested in wholeness. That's your whole body, your whole soul, all of heaven and earth. It's why when Jesus returns, the dead in Christ will rise. In a twinkling of an eye, we will be transformed. That's what he's saying. That's what the kingdom of God is like. We taste it in part now, but he says, just wait. Just wait till the fullness of my kingdom comes when I return. We know all of this, this kind of kingdom is only accomplished or made possible by the death and resurrection of the righteous son of God, the son of man. Right? We haven't got there yet in Matthew. Um, but we know that all of it is afforded to us because of what Christ done, has done on the cross. As a man who resisted the enemy, who remained righteous as a man, and took his righteousness and then bore our sins on the cross and rose victorious over sin and death and put all sin and death to death so that a new kingdom could usher in all of that's made possible by what Jesus does on the cross and the resurrection. We know that. So what are we to do? If Jesus says, I want you to know what my kingdom is like. Look, I heal people. I bring wholeness and restoration. I overcome the darkness. Darkness has no place in the kingdom of God. Sickness and death has no place in the kingdom of God. What are we to do with that now? What are we to do? Well, the first thing we do is we ask ourselves very important questions. Do you believe him? Do you believe him? Have you given all of yourself, surrendered yourself to him, knowing that not only are you sinful and broken because of what Adam has done, but because of what you've done? That you yourself have rejected God and gone your own way. Do you know that? And have you responded to Jesus in faith knowing that he has forgiven and paid for your sin on the cross and offers you forgiveness not only but also restoration and wholeness? Do you believe that and have you said yes to Jesus that I need it and I will follow him? That's the first thing. Is Jesus your king? Undoubtedly, there are some of you in this room who has trusted in every other thing other than the work of Christ in your life. Believe the gospel and obey the gospel today. But not, not only that, but also as the church, we must rejoice. We rejoice. It's why we do Christmas. We rejoice that the Father did something significant. He was up to something new and different when he sent the Son to overcome the darkness and to heal our brokenness. We rejoice. We, we proclaim the good news over and over and over again, both in word and deed. We touch, we heal, we serve, we feed the poor, we collect, collect winter jackets, we buy gifts for orphans, we fill boxes of food that go to families, we open medical clinics, we bring healing to real people, we pray against darkness, that, the, that Jesus would overwhelm the darkness and cast out demons that are in our midst. We do all of those things because we want to be a preview of the kingdom of God. We want to say the word to the world, if you want to know what the kingdom of God looks like, look at us. That's what we do. That's what we do. We are a preview of the coming kingdom, much like a movie trailer. We declare just like Jesus did when he cast out demons and healed the disease. The kingdom of God is here and it is coming. Will you follow Jesus?
whether rich or poor, whether or not our political hero is in or out of office, whether sick or well, whether life is easy or hard, will we be that kind of light? Will we be that kind of preview of the kingdom of God? Jesus told his disciples, he said, I know you're going to have trouble in this world. Life's not easy. We still ache, sick, broken, sinful choices are still right here. Jesus says, I want you to know, have peace. I have overcome the world. And a new and different kingdom has come and is coming and will be filled, fulfilled when I return. Will we be that preview, First Baptist Church? Will we be that message of declaring to our communities, our schools, our friends, our neighbors that this is what the kingdom is like? Look at us. This is what the kingdom of God is like. I pray that we will become that light on a hill that we will tell that same story. That's the Christmas story. Let's pray. Father God of glory and grace, we're grateful for the testimony of Matthew about the life of Jesus and what the kingdom of God is like. That the kingdom of God overwhelms the darkness the kingdom of God brings healing to the sick and broken. Neither of those have any place in the kingdom of God. Lord, help us to tell that same story with the words that we speak as we call people to Jesus and, and how we serve and bring healing to others. Help us to tell that story. Help us to be that light on a hill. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Let's stand together. We're going to respond. This is your time to respond to the invitation to obey the gospel, perhaps for the very first time. It's your time to respond and say, you know what? I'm going to be that preview. I'm going to be that message to a lost world. We're going to stand and sing hymn number 261. Let's sing and respond together. As we enter our time of worship through giving now, be seated, but continue, continue to worship.
Our life together tonight reminds us, today reminds us that every week this month is another opportunity to tell this same story in a, in a different way. Friends, we've been telling the same story for 2,000 years. It never gets old, and it's worth telling every time, every time it comes around. We, we, we live this story. So tonight, you have the opportunity to come at 6, six o'clock and hear the children tell the story. I'm not sure there's a more beautiful picture than to, to hear the children sing these songs and to hear them recite these words of scripture that we hold so very dear. So whether or not you've got a, a child in the, in the children's choir ministry, come and support them. Tell them that you're proud of them for learning these words that, are, that hold truth. That's tonight at six o'clock. Then on Christmas Eve, we have two very special services. At 4.45 will be our memorial service. It's an opportunity for us to remember that um, the holidays can be tough. These seasons, when we remember those that we love so, so very much that have gone, gone on to be with the Lord, and so we come to gather together at 4.45 and, and we remember them, and it's a profoundly beautiful service. We ask that you, if you can get those names into us to the office so we can know who we're gonna honor. And then at 5.30 will be our candlelight Lord's Supper service. This room is filled with families. With, we come together and just celebrate this, this good, good, good news, this good story. So that'll be at 5.30 on Christmas Eve. And these beautiful altar flowers today help, are given to the glory of God and in celebration of the 50th wedding anniversary of Steve and Susan Martin. Would you help me thank you? Yes. We are grateful indeed. Stand together as we're dismissed. Arise, your light has come. bless you.
First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.